you're seeking biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney, husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher. Join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today. Ever since God's creation of the human being, people have been turning 13, thus entering into the teenage years. Yet the reality is that the developmental stage we modern people describe as adolescence was invented not that long ago. The actual term teenager itself dates back only to the early 1900s. But the word didn't even begin to stick until well after World War II. According to historians, the teenager emerged in the middle of the 20th century due to the confluence of trends in education, economics, and technology. Specifically, three landmark societal changes literally invented the teenager. The first one was the rise of compulsory education. As the U.S. economy shifted from an agrarian-based one to a mass-production factory-based one, many families sent their children into the factories, mills, and mines. To counter this effort, the government gradually increased the required educational standards. No longer was eight years of school enough. Children needed 12 years. And boom, the high school was invented. So just between the years of 1920 and 1936, the amount of teens in high school doubled from a lowly 30% of our nation's teens to over 60%. In the years following World War II, that number went way up. No longer was the American teenager working side by side with adults on the farm or in the factory, but they spent the bulk of their time in the school alongside their peers. The second factor was the post-war economic boom. The 1950s saw one of the greatest periods of economic expansion in American history. As incomes rose, more and more women entered the workforce, and the birth rate also went down. This meant that more and more money could be spent on teenagers and by teenagers. In other words, either their parents were buying them lots of stuff, or the teens were working and gradually became the greatest of all consumers. Also, parents began spending lots of money on summer camps, after-school activities, youth sports, etc., to keep their teens busy. And the third factor, the invention of the car. As one author writes, cars didn't just hasten a historical shift from teenage codependence to independence, they fed the growth of a high school subculture. When buses and cars could drive students farther from their homes, one-room schoolhouses gave way to large buildings filled with teeming hordes of adolescents and their hormones. Cars also changed dramatically the way teens dated and their overall social life. Where dating was once family and home-based, it became totally independent and peer-related. So these three historic changes conspired to unleash an abundance of leisure time. 
a void which the average teenager often filled with all types of experimentation. So we need to spend season four of biblical counseling today on the problems that arise during the teenage years. These often strike fear in the hearts of today's Christian parents, but we must deal with them in faith and in confidence in God's Word and the work of the Holy Spirit. We'll begin this season by digging down deep into the heart of the matter, seeking an overall understanding of today's teenager. So there was the rise of the high school and its culture, the post-war economic boom, and the invention of the car. Teenagers became radically different than they were at any point in human history. The shift was so striking that the FBI in 1953 under J. Edgar Hoover actually issued a report on teenagers that, quote, the nation can expect an appalling increase in the number of crimes that will be committed by teenagers in the years ahead. This message reverberated in Washington, D.C. to such a level that in 1955, President Dwight D. Eisenhower used his State of the Union speech to call for federal legislation, quote, to assist the states in dealing with this nationwide problem. What was the problem? The problem of being a teenager. Now, is that how you see your teenager or the teens in your church or in your community? Do you want to have new federal legislation banning teens or bringing in the National Guard to help get them under control? Or are you at the other extreme, oblivious to what your teenager is doing or struggling with, or just crossing your fingers and hoping for the best? Whether it is alarm or apathy, all Christian adults need to repent of these attitudes, looking in faith to what the Lord wants to do in the hearts of our teens, and hopefully counseling them biblically through the challenges in their lives. But before we get into specific problems of adolescence, we need to strive to understand today's teenager in general, how he or she is developing physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and relationally. Well, let's start today talking about teenage physical development. Now, when I was 11 or 12, my dad sat me down in my room and introduced me to a series by Christian psychologist Dr. James Dobson called Preparing for Adolescence. I remember doing a workbook and listening to cassette tapes with my father. I think some of it was helpful, even though I would now disagree with some of Dr. Dobson's views on identity and self-esteem. But one thing I vividly recall is hearing the word puberty for the first time. Still a funny term to me. But it's important for us to understand since entrance into puberty basically coincides with the teenage years, even though there is variety on what age a child experiences these physical changes. So clearly, the physical changes that occur during puberty are the most noticeable sign that your teenager is now no longer a child. There's that growth spurt. Girls typically experience a rapid growth spurt first, starting around the age of 10. This lasts a few years, and then growth occurs more slowly and steadily until about age 17 or 18. Breasts begin to develop, pubic hair appears, menstruation begins, and hips widen. Big changes in the life of our young girls. 
Now, boys usually begin their growth spurt one or two years after most girls. They continue to develop physically for three to four years after most girls, meaning that your teenage boy may not finish growing physically until 21. Pubic hair appears, height increases, the voice changes and then deepens, muscle mass develops, etc. Of course, these physical changes are triggered by the actions of hormones on various parts of the body. We'll talk later about how these hormones affect the mind and emotions as well. But it's also important to remember that these hormones may be at work several months before development becomes outwardly evident. And one of the biggest challenges for our teenagers on the physical front is that they suddenly look so much different than their friends, classmates, or other teens in the youth group. Some teens start maturing early while others we call late bloomers. For example, your daughter may be six months younger than her best friend, but starts her period in wearing a bra first. Your son may look in the mirror and think he looks like a freak because his nose and ears have suddenly grown too big for his face. So everything can look and feel out of sync for your teens, especially with their peers. And we know how important for teenagers to not feel out of place or to feel different. Okay, so much for a brief human biology textbook review. So why is it important? Why is it important for us as Christians to recognize the physical aspects of teenage development? Well, for one thing, it reminds us that God has made us body and soul. It is tempting for us as Christians to see all the problems of the teenager only through the grid of their sin and their spiritual development or lack of it. We certainly do need to address their sin, but that must come in the context of the physical issues that are contributing to their problems. Consider just some other problems to watch for regarding a teen's physical development. Teenagers may become overly self-conscious about their appearance. At first, this is normal, but the sinful heart of pride can kick in, causing a variety of self-centered problems. Or how about when fear, confusion, or anxiety about the physical changes occur, especially during the teenage years? Again, normal, but they need to be addressed. Or teens can indulge in excessive dieting or exercise to deal with their bodily changes, as well as their improper perceptions about their bodies. Even more extreme, teenagers can develop an eating disorder of some kind. Or our teens can be exposed to social situations that they're not ready for because they simply appear more physically mature than they really are. And finally, our teenagers can be bullied, teased, or excluded for being either an early maturing teen or a late bloomer. Do you hear how physical developments in our teenagers can provoke either suffering situations and or sinful responses? So we must, as parents, sympathize with their struggles. After all, we were teenagers once as well. But we should also recognize that hormonal changes can be a major contributor of mental and emotional issues as well. Mood swings, being quick to anger, increased anxiety can be produced by hormonal changes. This is not at all to say that our teens are not responsible for sinning in their anger or for failing to trust God in their anxiety or for the destruction that is caused by rapid mood swings. 
We'll address this more in a later section on teenage emotions. Just keep in mind that hormonal changes, physical hormonal changes, are factors that should be addressed. So let's move on next to the teenager's mental development. Oh, to understand the teenage mind. There is no doubt that it is changing, especially from more concrete thinking to more abstract thinking. But consider some of the other ways teenage thought patterns are developing. Their interests are moving from solely the present to the near future and even well into the future. More thought time is often being given to goals and ambitions that they want to accomplish in life. Teenagers can actually desire to learn more, to study things that interest them. Believe it or not, their ability to have foresight increases. In other words, they can begin to think through consequences of their behavior. But unfortunately, risk-taking behaviors increase in our teenagers as their minds become a fertile place to think about experimenting in bad behavior. So there are good changes in these teenage minds, even if the door is also open to some wrong thinking. Most importantly, teenagers can begin to think through what is true and what is a lie, what is truth and what are lies. I'm not suggesting that they have reached the goal of wisdom or great discernment, but they have the capability to think through the difference. Now, this is a much different picture of the teenage mind than popular culture paints for us. The world tempts us to think about teens as having minds only obsessed with sex all the time or hedonism or total foolishness. Can that be true some of the time? Certainly. And it doesn't help that all type of media cater to the teen's sinful appetites with abundant porn, disrespect for authority and religion, and the glamorization of all things rebellious. But we must recognize that the teenage mind has great potential for good, for righteousness, for sound thinking. This has been true throughout history and is true today. Teens can think biblically and truthfully. Part of the problem that we must admit as adults is that we aren't teaching our teens how to think. We are often just assuming that they should learn to think on their own. Case in point, most schools do not teach the essential discipline of logic anymore. What was once a staple in secondary education, a class or more in logic is absolutely necessary to demonstrate to teens how they must think rationally and logically and give them the tools to do it. But in the anti-intellectual world we live in, it should be of no surprise to us that teenagers lead with their feelings more than they lead with their thinking. They are not being encouraged to think properly in many sectors of society. That means that as Christian parents, we must be teaching our teenagers how to use the rational minds God has given them. We must teach them what is true and what is false. We must engage in debates and discussions to hone their thinking. I'll admit that I don't like debating my teens very much at all. It's hard work. But we must challenge what they think, learning why they think the way they do. Again, it is vital that we have a positive view of how our teens are developing mentally. If we only see them as unable to think, then we won't make the effort to teach them to think. 
And this includes the need to teach them how to think through their own decisions, not just making all the decisions for them. Now, before leaving this topic, I want to say a word about the recent research into brain chemistry and neuroscience. I'll go more in depth in a future podcast. While it's helpful that our modern technology has allowed us to learn more about the brain, the temptation is to blame too much of teenage behavior on the brain. For example, now that we believe that the brain doesn't fully develop until about the age of 25, some theorists want to extend adolescence to that age. In other words, if the brain isn't fully developed, then we can't even expect people in their early 20s to act like adults. Do you see the problem here? Whatever is really occurring with neurons and synapses and gray matter, that shouldn't lead us to believe that teenagers can't think. Will they think as well as an older responsible adult? Probably not. But that has to do just as much with life experience as it does with our brains. Teenage cognitive development is not limited by the brain and its development. Teens are not just brains. They have hearts that must develop as well. Now let's talk about the teen's emotional development. The stereotype of teenagers concerning their emotions is that they all experience mood swings and regular emotional outbursts. In other words, the teenager has little ability to control his or her emotions and shouldn't be held accountable for them. But the reality is that not all teenagers are unstable emotional wrecks. Thank the Lord for that. Yet they can end up in bad emotional states at times. So let's go through some biblical basics of emotions that will help us understand our teenagers. First, emotions are gifts from God. Teens are not just to be cognitive robotic people. They have feelings in response to what's going on externally and internally. Second, while we give all sorts of names to our emotions, teens can ultimately feel bad or good, up or down. Their feelings will correspond to truth or to lies, good situations or bad situations that occur in their lives. Third, Emotions are best thought of as symptoms of what is going on in the mind of the teen and the heart of the teen. They are important indicators that expose what's going on deep in their hearts. Fourth, we should teach our teens to understand their emotions and properly express them. That also means that we need to listen to them as well. Fifth, parents need to show empathy while also teaching teens to not simply give in to their emotions and let them run wild. This will also take the work of the Holy Spirit. And finally, we want our teens to not be afraid of negative emotions, nor think that Christians only experience positive emotions all the time. They are going to feel badly at times and feel great at other times. They don't need to become enslaved to the emotional state either way. Well, with those basic principles in mind, consider some of the problems of emotional development that we may need to help our teens with. First, teenagers who are constantly moody. What do we mean by that? Typically, this is synonymous with pessimism or always being negative or being down in the dumps. 
Sometimes these teens will have rapid mood swings and go from being down for long periods with spikes of some positive feelings. As tempting as it may be, please don't describe this as bipolar disorder. Bipolar depression is a whole other unique disorder. This kind of moodiness is more connected to teenage self-centeredness and to a heart of pride. When teens are self-focused and having up and down moods, mostly down, that will become absolutely normal. After all, for most teens, life isn't going so well. They are typically struggling with relationships. They're experiencing various types of failure. They often want to grow up faster than their parents are allowing them to. So to deal with moodiness, or what my parents called melancholy, get to the heart of their self-centered pride or insecurity. Another typical teenage emotional experience is explosive anger. Of course, we recognize that sinful anger is a heart problem as well as a spiritual problem. But many of our teens struggle to get a handle on the emotional experience of anger. They can easily let their anger get out of control, turning on people violently with their tongues or fists or even on themselves. While I covered this in depth in other podcasts, the main thing to mention again when it comes to anger is that we need to understand the teen's growing need for justice. Much of their anger is directed at things they think are just plain wrong in this world and in their lives. Unfortunately, their level of discernment of all things right and wrong can be somewhat lacking. They often feel like their parents and even God are doing things wrong against them. God certainly isn't, even if parents fail at times. So help your teenagers think more deeply about injustice and direct them to begin to care for the problems of others than just for their own problems. Finally, teens can also experience apathy as they develop emotionally. What is apathy? Well, by definition, it is the lack of feeling for something important. It is indifference and the suppression of emotion. We don't want that in our teens either, do we? Yet it is tempting for them to care deeply about things that don't matter, yet feel little for things of utmost importance. To deal with apathy, we have to first determine what is most valuable in life. Your teen may show great emotion when his sports team wins or loses, yet very little emotion when at church during the public worship of God. One is more clearly valuable than the other. Apathy can only disappear when worth comes into the picture. In other words, we get happy or sad, excited or angry when something or someone is worth it to us. When our teens assess something as unimportant, then they will lack proper emotion. The trick is to get them to find the right things valuable. So we have a lot to do when it comes to helping our teens in their emotional development. We want them to feel deeply for those things which glorify God and love him and other people. Well, the fourth important area in which our teenagers develop is that of relational development. Wow, how things change relationally during the teenage years. They are becoming social beings, learning to relate to people of the same sex and the opposite sex. 
They're becoming functioning members of society, which means they need to learn to relate to people of all ages. Typically, they're longing for relationships as well. While parents are often most concerned about negative peer pressure, this is not the only potential problem of the teenage years. And now the daily presence of so-called social media in the lives of our teens makes it even more challenging. So what must we keep in mind when it comes to our developing teenagers and relationships? First, they need to learn what God's Word says about relationships. It is our Creator alone who dictates how we are to relate to one another in God-glorifying ways. Second, they need to practice being active in relationships rather than passive. All of us love to be pursued by others who want to be our friends. But it is essential that our teens begin to pursue proper relationships, and not just with those who are most like them. They need to learn to reach out to the outsider, the outcast, and the unloved. So the goal should not be for our teenagers to have a small circle of wonderful friends or just one or two best friends. If that happens, great. But we should have a bigger goal as Christians to teach them to love their neighbors as themselves. Then there's the problem of the opposite sex. Yes, problem in a good way, something to learn from and solve. Our teens tend to be very interested in the opposite sex as they grow as sexual beings, craving intimacy. They need the most wisdom and guidance from parents in this area. And most parents, unfortunately, appear to give less and less these days. Our teens also need our help navigating the greater world of social media and popular culture. We must protect them from what is harmful, as well as train them to be wise in their activities as well as their relationships. Social media has thoroughly changed how youth relate to others. Yet they're still made in the image of God and crave old-fashioned personal relationships as well. Ultimately, our teens need to move from childish, self-indulgent relationships to ones of sacrificial, life-giving service. Their most important relationship is first the Lord, followed by family, other believers, and then the watching world. The teen years are crucial for learning how to be relational and under the greatest commands to love God and love other people. They should not be allowed to become more isolated and alone during the teenage years when they do actually crave other people in their lives. The last essential development area that we need to go over and to recognize in order to understand our teens better is their spiritual development. Now, you may properly stop me there and point out that a teen's spiritual development is ultimately in the hands of a sovereign God and the work of the Holy Spirit. I totally agree. Sadly, many teenagers will not put their faith in Christ, and so they will remain dead in their sins and destined for eternal destruction. But thanks to the grace of God, many of our children come to faith in those early teenage years or begin to see growth in their faith that they have professed since childhood. The big question here is, are we hopeful that our teenagers can actually have a relationship with Christ during these years? 
Or are we more cynical, believing that they will rebel and not come to Christ until the adult years? The answer to this question will guide how we treat our teens during these crucial years. For example, when teenagers do something wrong, especially one of the big sins, do we immediately see them as unsaved creatures or as believers that have royally sinned? I'm not saying that we can't or shouldn't question our teen's salvation in those moments. It's more about where we're putting our trust, in the teen or in the work of the Spirit. Now again, just to be abundantly clear, I'm talking about teens who profess faith in Christ, not just teens who happen to attend your church. Are we able to see those teens as struggling Christians? Or do we tend to see them as fake and false believers who are really just deceiving us and living for themselves? I believe I've been around both sorts of teens. But on the whole, I would rather believe that they are just immature in their faith instead of just plain non-believers. Either way, they still need to be called upon to repent and believe, seeking to walk in holiness and grace. Another important aspect of a teen's spiritual development is that it's time to learn more of the disciplines of the faith. During the teen years, they need to learn how to have a quiet time, a time to study God's Word for themselves and to pray. They also need to learn the discipline of public worship and gathering with their fellow saints. This discipline is often hardest to learn, especially when parents don't require church attendance or allow other activities to get in the way. Teens also need to move from childhood to adulthood in the discipline of using their gifts to serve others. It's during the teen years that many Christians begin hearing the call to the gospel ministry or to see their vocations as jobs in which they can serve the Lord and not just make a lot of money. Ultimately, we want to see our teens form their identities in Christ. Even the world thinks adolescence is a time where people form their identities. But instead of simply establishing that identity around the universe of self, we want our teens to seek their identities in Christ. As they identify with Christ in his death and resurrection, they will grow in the new self, in Christlikeness and in maturity. To find an identity in any other fashion is to live a life of folly and not of wisdom. Hopefully this podcast episode will serve as the foundation for the rest of season four as we dig down deep into the more specific problems of the teenage years. As challenging as life is for today's teen, it is immensely important that we look in faith to what the Lord can do in their lives. While the temptations are great, the possibilities for them to shine as lights in a dark world are even greater. Can our teens truly overcome this world as victors in Christ? I pray we believe that he who has already overcome Satan and this world can create teenagers who can overcome as well. And as teens grow in Christ, they too can handle their problems biblically in God-glorifying ways. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, 
which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.